If you've ever thought of quilting your own projects but just don't know where to start, I have the perfect first steps for you. I've put together a PDF guide. I call it Three Steps Toward Freehand Freedom. These are the baby steps, but they can help you move past your overwhelm and show you that yes indeed, freehand quilting can be learned. So if you'd like to snag this PDF, there's a link in the show notes, or if you're an Instagram user, just message me three steps. That's the number three, S-T-E-P-S, and I'll send you that link. Let today be the day you get started. What's the worst that can happen? Just try something new, and then if you don't enjoy it, move on and try something else. Welcome to Measure Twice, Cut Once, the podcast where we hear quilters and other crafters' stories and draw encouragement and even life lessons from them. I'm your host, Susan Smith, coming to you from my long-arm quilting studio, Stitched by Susan. Here's where I spend lots of hours doing freehand, edge-to-edge quilting. And if you're not a quilter and aren't familiar with those terms, I'm doodling on the surface of a quilt with a 50-pound pencil with needle and thread attached at very high speeds. This week I've quilted fans and a number of flowers and done some straight line ruler work. But today, I'm going to take a well-deserved coffee break to visit with Elizabeth DeCruz. Today's Pins and Needles is brought to you by The Will and Dave Show. Hi, I'm the Will half of The Will and Dave Show, a short little podcast that myself and the eponymous Dave like to record talking about the things that really matter to us, whether that's social, political, or pop culture. Usually we don't see eye to eye, but more often than not, we can find some common ground in there somewhere. And now, back to pins and needles, with a quick tip for all you sharp quilters out there. Painter's tape. It's one of my favorite guideline tools. So when I'm trying to quilt a row of something across a quilt top, and I need a guideline that my eye can easily see, my go-to is always painter's tape. Whether it's blue or green or even any other color, it's always bright and easy to see out of your peripheral vision. Just tear a piece that's long enough to extend over into the batting on either side of your quilt. That will help it stay stuck. And then when you're finished that row, you can easily pick it up and reposition it to a new place. If you're interested in supporting this podcast, go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash stitched by Susan, where for the price of one delicious coffee, you're able to make a one-time contribution. This helps me get a better microphone and enables me to keep bringing you these weekly episodes. Thank you so much for your support, and maybe take a moment now to refill your cup as you settle back to enjoy today's interview. Well, today I have invited into my studio Elizabeth DeCruz. Elizabeth uh, started sewing as a child, and she's always been interested in a variety of needle crafts. She has traveled with her family, and I think that's what we're going to chat about a good deal today. Let's hear about where you have lived. Okay, well, it's it's kind of interesting because I grew up in one city, and I still went to school, stayed in that city, and I got married and have four children and I hadn't really gone anywhere. And then my husband was offered a job in South Korea. And so we're like, okay, let's pack up four kids and move there. And I had never even lived in another city. And then we're boom, right around the world. Um, And now I'm actually back in the same city that I grew up in. But that was a great experience to go live in another country and experience a different culture. That would certainly broaden your horizons in a hurry. Yes, yes, for sure. 
So did you take your crafts with you? Were you a sewist or crafter before you went? Um, yes. Yeah, so I, I was a quilter and embroiderer. I had tried all bunch of things. And so I did take some things with me. Um, and then when we got to Korea, a sewing machine was one of the first things that I purchased when we got there. And that really helped me um, because here I was in a brand new culture and I had four little kids and I was trying to help them in the culture. And I mean, I was in a place where I didn't know anything. Like I couldn't speak to people. I couldn't read signs. And so having that, um, having sewing and quilting, that really helped me because it was one thing for myself that I knew how to do. And I could just help me with all the stress of being in a new situation. So I'm curious, did you did you pick up the language? Like how long did you live there? Uh, we lived there just over two years. And I'm sad to say I didn't pick up very much of the language. You know, my children picked up quite a bit. And so I was like the mom, we'd go to the market and then I would ask my kids to translate something for me. That was me um, uh, for a couple reasons. First, it's really difficult to learn another language. And then a lot of people there speak English as a second language or they have learned English. So I would say anybody, for sure, anybody under age 40 would have learned English in school. And so some people, some people didn't want to bother but a lot of people were really happy to try and practice the English um, expressions and words that they knew. So generally, people were so friendly and went out of their way to try and speak English to me. So that also didn't force me to learn Korean, which I might have had to try a bit harder if people weren't so friendly. <laughs> well, I am all admiration. I think that would be incredibly intimidating to go into a country where it would feel so closed, right? Where, as you said, you couldn't read signs or or anything. How old were your kids when you went, Elizabeth? Um, the youngest was one, and then there were one, four, six, and ten. So that was so, quite an experience for them. And at least the older ones yeah. will really remember that for yes, a lifetime. They really remembered that. And it was, a, it was a great experience. But also with my husband's um, company, there were some other families that were there. So we also had a little bubble of like Canadian families that were all there together. Well, that must have been a, a support system. And I'm sure that was valuable too. Yes. Oh, yeah. That was such a great help to have and made made really good friends there. So you learned a new craft native to South Korea. I understand when you were there. Tell us yeah. about that. Yes. Well, uh, when I was there, so pretty early on, I discovered there was a community center and they had all these different classes and like um, music and sewing, calligraphy, painting, all different things. And they had these samples for the next session. So I was looking and I saw something. And it was kind of quilting, but not exactly quilting. So I didn't even know what it was, but I signed up for the class. I thought, I want to do that. Signed up for the class. So I showed up. So what it was, it's called pojagi. And it's a traditional um, Korean sewing form that's been around for thousands of years. 
Um, in fact, the first recorded mention of it is AD 42. Oh my goodness. So, so it's significantly older than Western quilting. Um, so I started doing that. It was all hand stitched uh, with a lot of silk fabrics and silk threads. Um, and uh, and there's a few different patchwork seams. And so it, it was really interesting for me to start learning. I started learning how to do it first. And then I began to learn some of the history of what I was actually doing. That That is quite a story. And I love that you were open to trying something new. I think that a lot of crafters um, kind of get stuck in a rut. And it's really good mm -hmm. for us to experiment with and learn about other skills. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, I found it was really um, helpful. I love to try new things. And I think especially if you're doing a small project, then what's the worst that can happen? Just try something new. And then if you don't enjoy it, move on and try something else. Because I think our craft should be um, relaxing and rewarding. It shouldn't be something that's stressful or a burden to you. So try something new and then you never know what you're going to find that you love doing. That's true. And I think it brings creativity to the things we already know how to do. And I think you found that, am I right? You found this old craft, but it brought a new and fresh outlook and ideas into the craft that you already had. Oh, for sure. For sure that did. So I learned a lot of things um, in Korea. And then when we returned from Korea, I found um, a lot of the materials, like the threads and the fabrics were very difficult and some impossible to find. Mm -hmm. So I began to play around with, well, um, maybe I could use those techniques for something else. And so then I found um, uh, using batik fabric in a sewing machine, the one of the seams is a reversible patchwork seam. So it's only one layer, but it's finished on both sides. So if you know sewing, it's actually a flat fell seam. It's done the same as that. And so I started trying patchwork with that seam and with batik fabric. And it just glows like stained glass if you see it hanging in a window. Um, and so that was really a fusion because it's based on the traditional pojagi seam technique. But it's using batik fabric, using a sewing machine. So it's just a whole bunch of things all kind of came together. That's inspiring. And I did, of course, scope out your website and some of your patterns. And that is the first thing that caught my eye was that beautiful stained glass effect that you get in your patterns. So you have now developed and published a number of patterns, yes? Yes, yes. So I have, yes, a number of uh, different patterns. And I have an online workshop for people to um, take a course because for some people um, to do like a video class is easier because it is totally different than quilting. It's a totally different kind of seam and result. So, um, and I have YouTube videos so you can actually see how it works. 
That's helpful because, you know, when you think of a quilting pattern, it usually has a fairly narrow number of techniques. You know, there's the half square triangle and there's the quarter inch seam and there's the pressing. And that's what makes your quilt. But to learn a whole different seam, which is what you're saying, right? So maybe describe if you can how that seam is formed and maybe how that relates to um, traditional sewing and what, what things it might have been used for. And then we might be more familiar with it. Okay, so... To put the seam together, uh, there are a couple different ways, but I'll just go over the easiest way. So imagine placing your two pieces of fabric together, but the edges aren't lined up. One of the edges is sticking out about a quarter of an inch. So then you stitch the seam so it's about a quarter of an inch from the edge of one fabric and about half an inch from the edge of the one that's sticking out. You stitch your seam. Then you press the edge from the half inch fabric over top. So you're like folding it over and then you fold that over onto the fabric and then top stitch the edge. So it's a flat fell seam. It's often you might see it in blue jeans to see the seam um, with like two layers of stitching and it's all tucked inside. That's the most common place that we would see it used. Yes, I agree. And that, that's the thought that came to my mind, too. I know I've seen that seam somewhere before. Yeah, it is used in blue jeans. So it was a bit of a um, jump to start using that in patchwork because that's not what first comes to mind. Um, but that's also um, what gives it the stained glass effect because in the seam, there are so many layers of fabric. So I was teaching a workshop the one day and a woman came in and she said you forgot to put black fabric on the supply list and I said well there is no black fabric in it but because the sun doesn't come through the seams that part looks like the lead and stained glass but it's not actually black fabric it's just because there's so many more layers the light doesn't shine through that makes perfect sense I can visualize that completely and truly mm-hmm. For listeners, you've got to check out Elizabeth's pictures. It is really, really beautiful when the sun shines through. So here's a question for you. How does that mm-hmm. hold up to being being used in the sun? Does it fade? How do you find that? That's a really common question that I get. And um, when I speak and do lectures, I actually have a sample that I bring in a show. So the short answer, over time, yes, the fabric will fade in the sun. So I have a piece and it was hanging in the window for over five years. And now I've taken it down. I just kind of save it as my sample. But you can clearly see if I lay it on the table where part of it is just washed right out the color. But it still looks okay hanging in a window. And my philosophy is that if I will hang something there and for five years, every single day, I can see it there and enjoy it then at the end of five years I can make something else because I I believe or I want the things that I make to be used and enjoyed I don't want to just make something and then stick it away in a closet to keep it in perfect condition and never look at it so I'm okay with that but if somebody doesn't want it to then it might not be the good um it might not be a good technique for you because it will fade over time. 
So here's a simple idea that might help with that. And by the way, I completely agree with the philosophy. If you're going to make pretty things, you should enjoy them. They should bring you joy on a daily basis, which they can't really do behind closed doors. Anyway, here's an idea, though. What happens if you hang it like in a west window or a north window and it just has a little less exposure to the sun? Do you still get the quality of the light shining through it and that stained glass look without the sun directly through it? Um, Yes, yes. Now, I'm thinking of what directions of windows I have on my house. But in all the directions, you still see it. And it looks a little different. And even depending on the time of day or different weather, it's kind of interesting and fun to see how it looks in different kinds of lights, like in the morning or full afternoon sun or evening. Um, it, I'm not a great photographer, so I have a hard time capturing that. But to have one in real life, it looks beautiful in all different kinds of lights. So I don't think it really matters what kind of window But if you have bright afternoon sun, it probably will fade faster. I kind of want to experiment with it now. I feel like, you know, I grew up in northern Canada, too, and we had long winters with low lights in the winter. And I wonder if, you know, you couldn't have yellows and warm colors and really influence the feeling in a room by the color that you have in your in your curtain. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure that you could. Yes, because it's really... um, it does really brighten up a room because it's not the same, just like sun blocking, like it lets a lot of light in. I just feel like, you know, with with cool colors or with warm colors or with greens that you could really influence the feel of a room yeah. by changing yes, that color could. a bit. It's like putting a, yes. a filter on a camera almost. Yes. And there are so many... Um, different fabric colors available that it's really unlimited of what you can use and play around with. How fun. So do you have other types of patterns available on your website too, or or is Pajagi kind of your number one interest? Uh, Well, I have a little bit of, I I call it like maker attention deficit that I can't really just focus on one thing and only do one thing. So I do also have, just regular quilting patterns. And I have a few um, embroidery things as well. So this would be hand embroidery, not machine embroidery. Am I right? Yes. Yes. Hand embroidery. Yes. So did you experiment? I'm curious when you were in South Korea, um, you know, silk and other fibers, I think are more common. They're maybe more readily available than they are in Canada or the U S. So did you experiment with embroidery with those types of fibers or ribbons or things other than kind of the typical floss that we use? Um, no, I didn't really do embroidery um, with the silk. Um, I didn't really do embroidery with the silk fibers. Uh, that, yeah, that wasn't really something that I got into. Did you bring a stash of fabric home from overseas? Yes, I did. And actually, um, so the class that I took, it ran in three month sessions. And so every time when I got to the end of the three-month session, I just signed up for it again. And so other students kind of came and went, and I just kept showing up. And my teacher would just bring something in. She'd say, now you're going to make this. And then I would make that. And she'd say, now you're going to make this. So I really um, got to know my teacher quite well. And um, so when it was the final class and she knew I was leaving, she actually brought in a huge bag 
of scraps that she had from her stash and gave that to me as a gift. What a treasure. It was. And some people were like, really, you're paying to ship a box of scraps around the world? And I said, of course I am. Like, that, that is gold in a quilter's hand. What a treasure. What yes, a treasure. Yes. All right. Well, if you could sum up, maybe do you have one or two phrases that are kind of the life lesson you learned from going to another country and absorbing some of their crafting culture? What would you tell others who have that opportunity? Um, I would say take the opportunity to learn something new because you never know what's going to happen from that. I mean, so now I'm like teaching and speaking about this and I never would have imagined that when I first went into the um, community center and said, oh, I want to take that class. I never imagined what would happen with that. Isn't that true in so much of life? Like they always say opportunity comes to those who are prepared, but it also comes to those who are looking for doors. You know, you never know yeah. when when the, you know, door number one has a great thing behind it or door number two or door number three, but you got to walk through some doors. I would also say that even if you try something new and you don't love it, that could be leading you to something else that you are going to love. Good point. Excellent point. So there's always something to take away, right? Always yeah. something to be gained. Awesome. Well, this has been super fun chatting. Um, where can folks find you on social media or website? Okay, so my website is evidastudio.com. So that's E-P-I-D-A studio.com. And on Instagram, it's elizabeth.evidastudio. On Facebook, evidastudio. So. Perfect. Well, you know, I'll put all these links in the show notes as well so that okay. people can easily get to them that way when they're paused for a moment and can search and not driving and just listening. Yeah. Um, maybe take a moment and describe the big project that you're working on and it will give people something to kind of look for. Okay. So the big project that I'm working on right now is coming up in June and it's the O Canada Sew Along. And it's one of my um, Projagi window hangings, and it's the maple leaf. And so it's going to be a sew along with that maple leaf, which is typically Canadian. But non-Canadians would be welcome to join if you just want to make a window hanging for fall and just get a head start. But um, I'm doing this in June, thinking that then everybody can be finished for Canada Day, July 1st, and have a nice Canada window hanging to hang in their window. Fantastic timing. And the maple leaf is such a striking symbol and flag that that will be, that will be beautiful. So can folks find information about that so along on your website or should they grab your newsletter maybe to get information on that? Um, sure. Yeah. If you would sign up for my newsletter, it will be on my website. I will have a lot of things um, coming up on Instagram so you can look for it there. So basically they can they can follow along on social media or sign up for your newsletter or have a look at your website and in all those places you'll be letting them yeah. know when this yeah. is coming. It'll be on all those on all those places, yes. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for visiting today, Elizabeth. This has been really fun to talk about the influence of some other cultures and techniques in our little mm -hmm. corner of the quilting world. So thanks very much for joining me. Oh, thanks so much for having me. This has been really fun. And thank you for tuning into the show. 
For information on classes I offer or quilting services, please see my website, stitchedbysusan.com. If you're a long-arm quilter and looking for freehand tips, take advantage of the live and unscripted episodes on my Facebook page, Stitched by Susan. Replays are also available on my YouTube channel, also Stitched by Susan. And if pictures are your preference, check out my Pinterest galleries of edge-to-edge and custom quilting projects. So until next time, may your sorrows be patched and your joys be quilted.